Portland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi everybody. Don Wardlow here, your Baseball Lifer in Residence. Welcoming you to another edition of our Baseball Lifer podcast. (laughs) Boy, has it been a week. We've had the College Baseball World Series, and last night was a game for the ages. You had LSU against Wake Forest. The winner would get to the final series of the College World Series, and that's going to begin on Saturday. And each team had their best pitcher going for Wake Forest. It was Rhett Louder, who was 15-0. and 0. And for LSU, it was Paul Skeens. And both of these guys, you can bank on being drafted very early in the draft in July. And I would say they'd be in the majors by 2025. I heard one person predicting that Louder would be in by the end of 2023. I think that's crazy. The days of David Clyde have come and gone. But I do think that if he stays healthy, not only will Rhett Louder make the bigs by 2025, but so will his opponent, Paul Skeens. They both left with no score after seven innings. The game, in fact, went no score into the bottom of the 11th inning when Dylan Cruz put up a hit and for LSU, Tommy White hit a two-run home run to end the ball game last night by a 2-0 final score. That was a tremendous game at the College World Series. We're going to hear from the voice of the Cincinnati Reds. John Sadak, their TV voice. This is an interview I was hoping to get for quite a while now, going back to the very beginning of this season. Now, the Reds have been hotter than hot since their shortstop, Ellie De La Cruz, joined them from from AAA. There was a lot of talk about him while he was with the Louisville Bats. Since he's been on the team, They've gone 12 and 2. In fact, they've won 11 games in a row leading up to tonight's game against the Atlanta Braves. The Braves, in fact, have won eight in a row. So somebody's O has got to go when those two teams get together tonight. And Ellie Dela Cruz, the man I've mentioned already in this opening, he's the fastest thing since Byron Buxton was a rookie in 2015 getting down from home to first in 30.9 seconds, which is something Buxton could do before his injuries slowed him down. This is a TV call, which is surprising in this day and age for it to be as descriptive as it is. But that's John Sadak. That's the man who's going to be our guest. And he sounded like this this past Sunday, describing a base hit by Ellie Dela Cruz. That is a fair ball glove on a bounce foot race head first time save. Oh, the outstanding speed of Ellie De La Cruz. 
Bell blazing speed down the line. I mean, you rob him of one tool because you make a great play defensively diving on that hot shot that goes right down the first base line. But then there's another part of the play. And meanwhile, De La Cruz just sprints down the line, reaches out to grab it. When all was said and done, the Reds beat Houston in that game, 9-7 to in 10 innings, finishing up a sweep of the Astros. And after that, the Reds swept the Rockies, so they've now won 11 in a row as they prepare for their series against Atlanta. When we come back, you'll be able to hear the Reds TV voice, John Sadak, the man you just heard on that sound. You'll hear him after a word from our sponsor, Portland Computer Services. Keep it where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, my guest is the Cincinnati Reds TV voice, John Sadak. John, welcome. Thank you kindly. Appreciate you having me. I have wanted to interview you since really I began this podcast. I thought the interview was going to be like one of those old Hollywood movies, you know, like the Jackie Robinson story. It was going to be called the John Sadak story. But I want to open up by saying this 2023 Cincinnati Reds baseball team is not the 2022 Cincinnati Reds team, not by a long chalk. No, the this team got off to a much better start, even though their start was not awesome. Uh, but seven and fifteen is better than three and twenty-two, and there were, I think, different overall vibes and expectations to this year. And you know, moreover, now at this stage of the year, uh, the the team is in a far, far different spot. The division is different. The makeup of this team, in terms of both skill set and attitude, are different. Uh, th- this is a decidedly different team that has a much brighter future on the very near horizon. As we approach the All-Star break, it's a safe say this is not going to lose 100 games, which your team, they'd had some bad years before you got there, but those were all years where they lost 90-odd, 90-odd, 90-odd. 
And then, by golly, they lost 100 last year, but that's not going to happen again. Not the way things look as, as I say, the All-Star game approaches. No, uh, and, and a big part of that is the youth movement of this team that uh, saw not necessarily its genesis, but some augmentation and addition uh, to some extent for why last year was the way it was, uh, because they they elected to make a number of moves that changed the makeup of the team. And, and even at the time, I, I totally understand why there were significant elements of the fan base uh, that were not happy with all of those moves at the same time I could then, and I still can now go move for move and give a rational explanation for why they were made. Um, and I think part of the, uh, part of the issue is that it happened in a very compressed span of time, because you have to recall that the lockout had just ended. There were no moves that were allowed to be made for a long span. So these moves that in an otherwise normal baseball off season would have been stretched out and then could be compartmentalized and analyzed and broken down independently happened in a flurry. Um, it was very emotional uh, because there were guys that were part of the team for a long time, particularly Eugenio Suarez, who's a longtime fan favorite, Jesse Winker, very much the same. Jesse came up within the organization. Gino kind of realized his greatness as a red. It was his second organization. Um, but it, the other reality is that they weren't all traded away. There were also a number of guys they elected not to re-sign. And uh, Nick Castellanos was decidedly the, the biggest name of that bunch. He was the best offensive player for the Reds team in 21. Um, but, but I also think there was a slight need to you know, pump the brakes that I love the 21 team. That was my first full season in the big leagues. They were tremendously fun. They were very talented. They were very flawed. They won 83 games. They, they didn't. They weren't the machine. They didn't win the World Series. It wasn't like they, they broke up you know, an all-time fantastic team. They were one of the better Reds teams after a couple of decades of, of very significant inconsistency and underperformance. Um, but they elected, and I think Nick Kroll, who was, who was burnt for many of those choices at the time, uh, so far to this point, many of them are now proving to be pretty good. Uh, you look at the performances of some of the guys who had left or were not retained, uh, and especially against the backdrop of what their compensation level and or years are and how that would affect a team like Cincinnati, and then look at the return they got for many of those trades and the performance to this point, uh, on the whole, they're in a really good spot because of that. On the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here talking with the Reds TV voice, John Sadak. And although last year was a calamity, the very, very earliest baby step of the new movement began a year earlier, 2021. I used to make jokes when this guy came up. I would joke, we're outsourcing our baseball talent to India because Jonathan India was the name of the Reds Rookie of the Year for 2021. Jonathan India was, was one of those first... Um youth wave stars uh and tyler stevenson as well they were kind of the two faces of the the reds rookies on that 21 team and and it took india a while to fully realize everything you know because of covid he had spent an entire year at the alternate site kind of outside of the view of of most reds and baseball fans 
as he became the outstanding player that he is. Um, and he nestled into a position at second base. Uh, he became the leadoff hitter during arguably the the single best series moments. Um, I mean, moments probably the way my lead no hitter, but for a team moment, for a team achievement, when they beat the Cardinals in St. Louis in that four-game set in that June, and that's when he became the leadoff hitter. And that's when that ver- that year's Reds probably became the best version of themselves. The, the bullpen was horrific to begin that year and probably held them back more than anything else. And if, if there were a fair criticism of uh, the overall makeup and decision-making to that point, that, that was probably it, that the – if they had spent more money or spent it better or you know, tried to in some way augment that bullpen, th- th- that's a fair point. What could they have done in that division? Um, but yeah, India was that that first guy, and he's you know he was hurt a lot last year in 22. It's part of the reason why last year went the way it did. India missed large spans of time and played hurt a lot. Tyler Stevenson missed large spans of time as well, and they were the two most talented, established, but very young players in year two. And now in what's almost a you know de facto true year two, year three, they are still a big, big part of what this Reds team is trying to do. You've got Jonathan India at the Keystone, and that's shortstop. You've got a guy, if India stays with the Reds, and if he stays good, he and Ellie Delacruz are going to be the Gold Dust Twins. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. The uh I, I they are both fantastic. Uh you know, McLean in uh a fairly tight amount of time has become one of the premier rookies in major league baseball after a stellar run at triple A. Uh at the initial unveiling of All Star Vote, he was top four in the National League at shortstop. He's been super consistent and explosive. Uh, he can pump triples and doubles. He, he does have home run pop. He covers very good range. He's fast. Uh, he has an excellent feel for the strike zone. And and Ellie De La Cruz, in terms of pure tools, might not have a peer. Uh, what he can do in terms of power, arm, range, speed, uh, average, and that that charismatic chutzpah uh he is just a a a very very unique talent uh that that i also think can thrive at multiple spots in an order in a field like in any way his tools are just so incredible and as he's beginning to realize who he is as a big leaguer he has quickly become must see tv he is one of those guys on that short list in baseball that if he's up and you're a baseball fan you don't have to be a reds fan most people should stop what they're doing and just watch. His second game in the big leagues was by the greatest good luck and a, a free game on the MLB package. I was able to watch that and darned if Will Benson didn't hit a walk-off home run and win it. Yeah, it was, uh, that was a pretty crazy night. And I think if this Reds team is able on the year to fully achieve things, and, and that remains to be seen. There are fair question marks, particularly with starting pitching right now. They're very thin. Nick Lodolo is still hurt. Uh, we'll see, you know, what 
version of Graham Ashcraft returns, uh, assuming he does fairly shortly for this Reds team. You know, they were two-thirds of the core rotation that we believe to be the bedrock of this team at the season start. And I still think they can and will be, uh, but right now that's uncertain. But the, to beat the Dodgers and to have two crazy comebacks, to be trailing by that much and to find a way to beat L.A. Uh, in that thrilling of a fashion is really remarkable. And it's it's not a fluke. I mean, it's it's part of the identity of this year's Reds team. It's, it's how they've won games at a rate nobody outside of Baltimore has done all year. And that's where there is some parallel between those two respective organizations uh, that have seen, I think, much quicker than nationally anticipated and possibly even to some extent internally anticipated growth through young players. Uh, you know, Don, the scouts for many years when I was in the minors and I was with two different organizations during most of that time that had excellent renaissances. Yeah, the Royals through the late 2000s uh, up until when they went to the World Series in 14-15 and the Yankees from you know, right around the 2012-13 mark up until when they wound up being an LCS squad again. The scouts would say to me, John, it's a good hit rate if about one out of three of your air quotes prospects, the guys who are you know, listed in the, the publications that are today MLB Pipeline and for years also Baseball America, if one out of three becomes a productive big leaguer, not talking all-star, not talking Hall of Famer, just a solid productive can play in the big leagues legitimately big leaguer, you're doing great because that's how hard it is to forecast and succeed. And right now, the Reds are hitting at a rate that is unbelievable for the, the guys who have come to the big leagues and been able to perform on the baseball lifer podcast with the reds tv voice john sadak last year the trade of luis castillo now it makes sense because the reds were on the way to losing 100 games the part that bothered me was that Luis got traded to the Mariners instead of the Yankees. What do you know about the guys that the Reds were able to get out of that Castillo trade? Well, the uh, the two biggest names have not yet been in the big leagues. Um, now, Levi Stout already has, uh, and he's considered one of the prospects. His debut did not go well in the big leagues, uh, but he did pitch far better when he came back the next time. Uh, the, the two biggest names were Noel V. Marte and Edwin Arroyo. Uh, both were listed as shortstops. Uh, Marte at this point now is up to double A with the Reds, and he has been excellent at Chattanooga. He is without question their best offensive player. Um, I would also temper that when you examine his numbers, consider the rest of the team's numbers, that uh, most of the year Chattanooga has been the worst offensive team in the Southern League. He has had very little support, and yet he has been a dominant offensive player. Um, he, his start was similar to that of Ellie De La Cruz this year. Um, I, I would say for a longer stretch, even a touch worse. Uh, Ellie had a hamstring injury in spring training, did not make his AAA debut until the second week of April, maybe even a little beyond mid-April, started two for 22, 11 strikeouts, and then it kind of clicked. And then at one point they said, you need to strike out less, walk more. And he just did it like magic, which is kind of crazy. Noelvi had a longer stretch where he was cold. And I think part of that was the lack of lineup protection. Um, 
you know, Christian Encarnacion Strand also was slowed at the season start, but got the AAA right around the same time that Ellie did this year. Uh, Marte was playing more shortstop early. He has since switched to play more third base. And I think that's because that's where they see him right now. Uh, shortstop is going to be a fairly clogged position. I, I think he will play some games at short when he gets to the big leagues. That could happen. Um, but I think his primary position at this point would likely be third base, assuming everyone else stays on track and healthy. Um, he is a boxy, thick, strong player uh, who I could eventually even possibly see in corner outfield. Uh, he has outstanding natural power. He has hit for a high average. Um, the The Reds have had a, a very odd uh, trio of prospects that all clicked on something that is very, very hard normally to change. Christian Encarnacion Strand, Ellie De La Cruz, and OLB Marte were striking out more than you'd like. They were not walking as much as you would like. Even though they had already kind of resolved their contact issues and were hitting with power, the, the Reds told each of them, you know, hey, strike out less, walk more, as if it were, like, simple. And all three of them did. Like, that, that doesn't happen. That's a feel thing that's progressive over a long span of time. And yet somehow they all just managed to do it. I, I have no idea what the rationalization or explanation is of how that was achieved. Uh, but if that continues with any sense of permanence, uh, that will be a, a core piece of getting them to the big leagues faster than I think you would have reasonably anticipated and have them be more productive in the big leagues. Uh, also in that trade, though, was Edwin Arroyo who of all the shortstops that became a, a bit of a running joke among some of the, the those that follow the Reds minor league community, how many shortstops they had, uh, some of which were augmented by those trades. Uh, yeah, shortstop is one of those premier defensive positions. When a guy is in the lower minors, when he's a ball or, or lower, and he's an infielder, um, or, or could even eventually be a center fielder, most of the time he's going to play short. I mean, most Pro players played short in high school, uh, played short in college, because that's where you put your most athletic best player. What we've seen of him in spring training and what I hear from people whose opinions I respect greatly that know far more than I ever will, Arroyo is the best defensive shortstop of that bunch. And uh, the question with him was how well would he hit? He got off to a slow start. Uh, playing in a colder weather environment to one of his first longer stretches doing that. And it's kind of clicked for him. His last three weeks have been dominant in contact and power. Um, I, I think, though, until you get to double A, that's where the numbers do legitimately have way more heft. Um, if there's another criticism I hear or concern from some of the Reds fans, they ask, you know, do, do these numbers mean anything of like the Jose Cunha's and A ball? And, uh, not necessarily, but it's you want them to perform and they're dominating. That's good. It'll hold far more weight once they're at double A and beyond. Uh, but I think Arroyo is doing exceedingly well. Um, and, and the Reds have the makings of two guys that can be, you know, linchpins to, to add to an already outstanding stable of young talent that's in the big leagues and producing right now. Um, another name that came across in that trade was Connor Phillips. And he was the player to be named later, which usually is, is exactly that concept. It's a throw-in player. Most of the time when you hear that or read that in a release, 
it's a, a lottery ticket. Yeah, you're, you're just trying to select some guy who's probably in rookie ball that nobody else knows about, that's on no prospect radar, that you would have very little data on, and just see how he turns out. The Reds made a very researched and selected choice. And Nick Crawl said at the time that, like, watch out for this guy. That's the player to be named later when they decided on Connor Phillips. That The Reds really liked him. And he has been very good. Uh, the, the best starter at double A this year. He went seven for the first time um, a couple of weeks ago. He has struck out double digit men multiple times. Uh, I don't know if it's feasible for him at this stage to be in the big leagues producing by the end of this year, but it's possible. And I would say there's a very good chance that he could be a big part of the Reds rotation, assuming he stays healthy in next season. Talking with the TV voice of the Cincinnati Reds, John Sadak. Now we'll get to what I'd been thinking would be the entire interview, which is to say the John Sadak story. And everybody's story is different. Uh, My own is, as a high school guy, I wanted to be a country disc jockey. And in high school, I heard college radio for the first time and heard college radio broadcasters. And I said, I could make those mistakes if I could find a sighted partner. Now, did you think about being a broadcaster when you were at Brick Memorial High School? Uh, only very, very late in high school. Uh, most of my childhood, I wanted to do something in the in math or the sciences. Uh, my only varsity letter in high school was on the math team. I was a JV hockey player. I played rec league, everything else. Uh, I loved sports. It was a giant part of my life throughout my entire childhood. My mom claims when I was about five, I asked because I didn't know, has anyone ever played Major League Baseball, NFL football, NBA basketball simultaneously? And uh, that's when I learned about Dave Winfield being drafted to all three sports. And part of the reason why he became one of my favorite players in my boyhood, because he lived the kind of dream that I wanted. I wanted to be uh, one of the biggest dudes and I wanted to be able to play everything. Uh, But it wasn't until my senior year of high school that at that time I'd wanted to work in physics. I loved uh, particularly astrophysics. Um, but the more I researched the career path, you know, back then it was early stage of the internet. There you know, wasn't a whole lot of info on there. I would get those thick, giant telephone book-like uh, career catalogs, and they would give you a rough idea for what uh, national mean average salary is and what the best schools are that have that major and, and a little snippet of what the job was like. And the more I learned about what the position was, I would have to get a terminal degree. I'd have to get a doctorate. Um, I would come out almost assuredly riddled with some form of, of student debt. My family didn't have a whole lot of money. Um, the job itself, the nerdy research part that was so enticing to me, you don't really do that much. You're spending a lot of your time trying to raise money. You're, you're soliciting for grants. Uh, you're trying to uh, bid for shared time on one of the large telescopes or at a, at a collider or something of that sort. Um, and you're part of a team effort. Uh, most of your time is spent doing other things that I did not like. Um, and that forced me to reconsider. It was you know, during that senior year, but when I took my SATs, 
the only major I put down was physics. So all the college letters I got were based on physics. And I was doing a presentation of my AP history class on race relation in 20th century America. And at the core of it, it was trying to ask the question, did Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier influence a changing America or represent a changing America? And uh, the core research piece that I used for that presentation uh, was based upon the perspective of Arthur Ashe, who had you know lived through that era and you know lived a similar but somewhat belated experience on you know the tennis tour. Uh, he was the sportsman of the year from Sports Illustrated. The issue, I believe, had come out in '92. This was in the winter of '96, um, and I found an archive copy in our school library. And it, it tremendous quotes, tremendous perspective. And then, by coincidence, you know, we have this window of time while we're in the library in high school. I kind of got what I needed out of it for my presentation. And I just start leafing through it, and they had this giant pullout on a. Uh, or the center section, I should say, on ESPN Sports Center, and what a pop culture phenomenon it had become. And this was, you know, still you know, post dated by four years. And it detailed every position. So beyond the anchors, who is the director? Who is the producer? Who is the graphics person? What do they do? How do they contribute to the show? And the the sidebar that really captured me uh, detailed a production assistant who was the lowest rung on the totem pole, who made no money, who worked 90 hours a week, who did all the things nobody else wanted to do. And that was my aha moment because that's when I realized, wow, like that job sounds fun. And I know in the moment without giving it that full context necessarily, that person makes no money, you know, lives that terrible life. That's a churn job. Not many people want to do that. They're kind of testing to see how much you want it. Um, so I knew I could do that job and I could get that job because that would be a matter of, I just have to hound them. I just have to be on them because they're going to need people every so often. Nobody's staying on that as a career path. Uh, and then that opened the idea to me of, I would love to host sports center. Like I, I just thought those guys were so cool and so funny. Um, so this was early stage of the internet, 96, at the time, the email addresses of most ESPN sports anchors were available. I was able to find them, and I wrote them. And a lot of them wrote back, what's your career path? This is what I would like to do. I kind of just decided this. What? And they shared with me where they went to college and what they majored in and what their first jobs were in general career advice. Uh, and then my, my plan was, I'm now going to change. I'm going to major in some form of broadcasting communications. I'm going to try to be a sports center anchor, but if I can't, because I had never done it, I don't know if I have the skills to do it. I would gladly work in production. I would do one of those behind the scenes roles and I would be incredibly happy. And so when I decided to go to college and I decided on our shared alma mater of, uh, at the time, I think it was still Rowan college in Glassboro, New Jersey. Um, that was my plan was to go there to learn to be a sports center anchor. And if it didn't work out to do something in production. And you cut your teeth on the same radio station where I did WGLS FM. Yeah, I was, uh, I was very lucky Don, because when I first, uh, I actually applied to Rowan on the very last day you could, the last day applications were allowed. Um, I was lazy and I wasn't paying attention. I just thought, ah, stuff will work itself out. 
Uh, and that's something that generally has thankfully worked out for me over my life. But moreover, I have a mom who uh, cares a lot and prepares and handles things. And and uh, and she scolded me significantly, appropriately so, when she realized as she's dropping me off for high school that I had not yet submitted that application. And uh, so you, you could have, as long as it was postmarked, it would have been accepted, I believe. Um, but she said, heck with that. You're not going to school today. I'm calling you out sick. And uh, I'm taking you to Glassboro right now. And she drove from Brick, New Jersey to Glassboro, New Jersey. It made me fill out the remaining paperwork in the car on the ride. And uh, we hand delivered it. And it turns out there was a tour that day. And I went on the tour that included the radio station. And uh, and I it was Ned Eckhart, who was the TV instructor, was giving the tour. And was also touring the TV uh, studio production space and was talking about alumni that had been at places like, and as soon as I heard ESPN, I was sold. I was just like, yeah, this is it. This this is what I want to do. I had also applied to Syracuse, uh, but Rowan gave me a full scholarship and there would be no burden on my family nor on me. Um, And uh, so there was no choice at that point. And I felt great about it. The station had just been named the best college radio station in America. Um, that was by the, the National Association of College Broadcasters. Uh, they actually won a similar award just within the last year, a reprisal of that. Uh, but when I got to campus that early fall, I went by the radio station a few times. And every time I went by, uh, you would there's a secure door. And you'd have to hit a buzzer. Someone would have to let you in. I hit that buzzer and nobody came. I mean, I, I don't know what was up with the timing of when I was there. Maybe it was weekends. I can't recall that. But um, nobody ever came to the door. So I just kind of punted on it, just took my classes. And then I got a call probably that late October, early November from the man that was to be my academic advisor. And uh, he left a voicemail on my dorm phone. And when I listened to it, I heard this gruff man that sounded like he was an unearthly giant uh, saying, John Sadak, this is your academic advisor. We need to have a meeting. My name is Frank Hogan. And uh, it turned out he was the GM of the radio station, and his office was in the radio station. So I had an appointment to meet with him, and I go to the station, and this time you know, he opens the door, sits me down, and asks me these same kind of questions. What do you want to do and all this kind of stuff? And when I told him, uh, you know, in a very blunt, direct way that, that he lives his life, and I adore him still to this day, uh, he said something to the effect of, well, why the blank aren't you here? <laughs> and uh, he was able to get me into the training program. Uh, I was there with, um, there was one other person who trained with me. Uh, their training window had technically already ended, but he created one for me and it might have been one or two others. Rasheed Daniel was my instructor who uh, still works in media to this day. Um, and then I was able to work a daytime shift the remaining part of that semester and the next semester. Uh, I was able to do a basketball game. I did a Rowan Kane game uh, that uh, was that December or that January, uh, very quickly after I finished my training, and and I just got hooked because I uh, Don I went there to be a Sports Center anchor, and when I did things like that in a studio setting in classes, I found it um kind of rote and boring and predictable and not as engaging mentally as i had imagined it would be um and i did a live event game 
and I'm doing a division three basketball game with Jason Weber was my first partner. He was the sports director. He was a huge help to me early in my career as well after I graduated. Um, and I fell in love with doing games. I just loved the vibrancy, the energy, the challenge of unscripted drama and trying to find word choice and tone that match and underscore and the research that goes into it and learning about players and coaches and teams and their histories and their trends, uh, the math that was involved with it, um, the humanity of it, it just intoxicated me. Frank Hogan was my professor also. We're talking with John Sadak, the TV voice of the Cincinnati Reds. And Frank Hogan taught me one thing. And my final question is, the one thing he taught me is, get the Howard Cosell out of your voice before you try to get a job or you'll never get anywhere. Was there anything either Frank Hogan or McDonovan or any of the professors taught you at Rowan that you've taken with you to this day? Very much so. Yeah, the uh, I think Frank's uh, uh, biggest words to me before I did my first uh, football play-by-play, which was my, my major break when I became the sports director my sophomore year, was uh, don't effing embarrass me. <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> and, it. Uh, and, you know, he, he meant that to make me laugh, but he also meant that. Uh, he set up that college radio station like it was a pro station. He had standards. You know, there was a format. It was structured. You had to hit your stop sets. Uh, like, he ran that place like a pro radio station. So there are so many things that I took from that. Um, you know, the especially the attention to detail in everything, in script writing, in, uh, you know, how you produce something, in the timing of a promo or a commercial, or, you know, at the time we were underwritten, of course, the grants, um, everything, uh, the core base of everything I know about broadcasting, about uh, how to write copy for broadcast, about how to make sure you uh, arrange a staff, how to get the most out of people, that kind of leadership was all born out of Frank. And uh, I love that man. I mean, he's he was he was awesome to me. He treated me incredibly well. Uh, I still speak to him, you know, to this day, I give him a call or a text whenever I can. Uh, that guy is a, a total pro and he made that station what it is. It, it would not be what it became. And the others, you know, you and I and a whole lot of other people that worked in this industry and other industries uh, would not have realized that potential if, if not for him. I'll forever be incredibly grateful. We've been speaking with John Sadak, who went to the same college as I did. In my time, it was Glassboro State. It became Rowan. It is Rowan to this day. Their baseball team almost made the Division Three World Series again. But John parlayed a ton and a half of work into becoming the TV voice of the Cincinnati Reds. If I did a general sports show, there's so many more questions I could ask you, particularly about women's basketball. But I want to thank you for the time you've given me today on the Baseball Lifer. You got it, Tom. Thank you so much. Go props. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. Keep it where it is. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think we are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. 
You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here with you. Thanks again to John Sadak for joining us and talking about the Cincinnati Reds, who've only gotten hotter since we did that interview on the 13th. They've won 10 in a row. They're going to face Atlanta, who has won eight in a row this weekend. Also this weekend, you've got an interesting series in London. You've got the Cardinals and the Cubs, and both of those teams were going nowhere fast about 10 days ago, and the Cardinals are still stumbling. They're four and six in their last 10 games. But now the Cubs have won eight out of their last 10. So the next two, Saturday and Sunday, tomorrow and Sunday, are going to be the Cubs and the Cardinals from London Stadium, where the Yankees took on the Red Sox a few years back. The start time for Saturday is 1 o'clock in the afternoon, U.S. Eastern, which is 6 in the evening, London time. And then Sunday will be a 10 a.m. start, 3 p.m. British time. Meantime, the last part of the College World Series will happen. The final round, the LSU Tigers, who won last night's game over Wake Forest, will take on the Florida Gators. And that's a two out of three. Game one is on Saturday night. Tomorrow night, Saturday the 24th. Sunday afternoon is a 3 o'clock start in Omaha. And should it be needed, there would be a Monday game at 7 p.m. I'd like to see each team win one of the first two games so that we would get one more look at Paul Skeens, the star pitcher for LSU. Last night was Thursday night, so he would be pitching on three days rest if, in fact, they need him for a game three against Wake Forest. So it's been an interesting weekend, and there's an interesting weekend to come. Next week on the Baseball Lifer podcast, we've got Steve Lennox joining us from ESPN. And one thing I almost forgot, I wanted to answer last week's trivia question. The question was, when the Rangers played the Indians in June of 1974 on 10 Cent Beer Night in Cleveland, 
who was the Texas Rangers Hall of Famer starting pitcher? And my hint was that the man was Canadian and he had been scouted as a hockey player. We didn't get any responses, so I'll give you the answer. The answer was Ferguson Jenkins. He started and got no decision in that game, which ultimately was a forfeit to the Rangers after the fans in Cleveland, after having too many dime beers, stormed the field. So we hope you join us next week for Steve Lennox from ESPN on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Until then, this is Don Wardlow. Have a good week. Music